Hey, let me ask you a question this morning. Uh, do you believe in miracles? Yes, sir. Are there such a thing as, as miracles? I don't know if, if you remember uh, or were around or maybe have heard about it if you're not old enough, but in 1980 at the Winter Olympics, there has come to be an ice hockey game which has come to be known as the Miracle on Ice. Anybody remember that? The Miracle on Ice. The United States, with a team of amateurs, beat the, the uh, USSR, the Soviets, uh, the Soviets and, uh, and did that in an impressive way. And in the last seconds of the game, as the crowd was thunderously going wild, the announcer, Al Michaels, said, Do you believe in miracles? I didn't really do that justice. So take a second. Let's watch the last 10 seconds of that game. Let's do that. Wow, that was exciting, wasn't it? But he asked a question there in a hockey game. Do you believe in miracles? Did you hear his answer? He said, yes. But I want to tell you something this morning. Even though a game like that had never happened before, and I don't think has happened since, that was not a miracle. It was a great game, but that was not a miracle. The Holman Bible Dictionary defines a miracle this way. A miracle... Uh, is an event which unmistakably involves an immediate and powerful action of God designed to reveal His character or His purposes. A miracle, as we understand in the Bible, is not a hockey game, but it is a movement of God that draws attention to God, that lets us know who God is and what God's purposes are. That is a miracle. The Hebrew word in the Old Testament for miracle is often translated into English as one of two words, a sign or a wonder. For example, in Exodus chapter 7 and verse 3, God says this. He says, I will multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. You remember the story there of the Exodus from Egypt. Now let's talk about these words sign and wonder because they, they mean basically the same thing, but they are slightly different in, the, in how they are used in Scripture. A sign can be defined like this, a divine action that points people to God. Something that God does that points people to God. For example, in Exodus chapter 12, you have the Passover. And God gave the instructions for the Israelites to, uh, to, to sacrifice a lamb and to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the door. And then in Exodus 12 and verse 13, God says that, the, uh, that for the Passover, the blood shall be a sign for you. The sign is this. When the blood is on the doorpost, the angel of death will pass over that house and the blood will serve as a visible reminder of who God is and what God's purposes are. And then we could say a wonder, uh, very similarly but just slightly different, is uh, a, a description of God's supernatural activity. 
Not just pointing out who God is and what His purposes are, but the fact that God has moved in some way. We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 34 where it says this. God says, God took a nation for Himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. You have seen the works of God so that it might draw attention to who God is and to the purposes of God. So when God moves in supernatural ways, it is to let us know who He is and why He does what He does. In Psalm 72, in verse number 18, it says this, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. The wonders that are performed are performed only by God. There is no other supernatural force that does the things that God does. Aren't you thankful for that? Now, think with me for a second. There, there are a listing, or there are a, a large list, I won't read all of them, of miracles that we see in the Old Testament. Signs and wonders, how God reveals Himself, His purposes, and His ways. Let me share some of those with you. There are the ten plagues in Egypt, you remember those, and the last of which is the Passover. There's the parting of the Red Sea, where Moses uh, held his arms out and God parted the sea and the people passed over as on dry land. There's the manna from heaven, which God used to feed His people in the desert for 40 years. There's a time that water came forth from a rock to give water to the thirsty people. There's a time that Aaron's staff, or the stick that he had cut down to use as a walking staff, uh, the time that, that even though it had been cut down and was dead, it budded as if it were alive as a sign or a symbol or a wonder that God had sent. There was a time that the ground opened up and swallowed Korah and those that rebelled against God. There was a time in the Old Testament where the sun and the moon both stood still. There's that story of, of the three uh, Israelites, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they were cast into the fiery furnace. And not only did they stay alive and were not burned, but one as a son of God was in there with him. There were three thrown in, but four were walking around. I think that's a great miracle of God. And then... There's that story of Daniel in the lion's den and so many more ways that God moved that we read about in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we also see the miraculous signs and wonders of God through Jesus, the Son of God. And we see Jesus uh, giving signs and wonders uh, throughout His ministry and they identified Jesus as the Son of God. In other words, the miracles that Jesus performed identify that He was indeed who He says He was. It's a fascinating study to go back and look at the day in which Jesus lived, at the many different numbers of people that came forward claiming to be the Messiah and portraying somebody else that they were the Messiah. And amidst all these voices, Jesus stood out and Jesus gained the notoriety then and we're still meeting and worshiping Him today because the miracles that He performed set Him apart from every other person on earth, set Him up from every other person that had been identified as the Messiah, and set Him apart as working the very works of God and identified Jesus as God in human form. And so the signs and wonders that He performed demonstrated exactly who He is, who He was at that time. 
Would you stand with me this morning? We'll read a brief passage of Scripture from Matthew chapter 11 in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist had been put in prison. And John the Baptist was the forerunner of the Messiah, as we know from Scripture. And, uh, and there uh, we see John asking about Jesus. Here's what it says, Matthew 11, starting at verse number 2. Now when John, John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds or the signs and wonders of Jesus, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, this is Jesus, Are you the one who is to come? So John the Baptist asked Jesus, I'm the forerunner. God has called me to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Are you the one who's, who, who I'm forerunning for? Are you the one who's the promised Messiah? Are you the one who's coming? There had already been the baptism. John the Baptist had already identified Jesus, but he's asking him now in prison, hey, is it really you? Or shall we look for somebody else? Verse 4, Jesus answered him, Go and tell John what you hear, and what you see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So when John the Baptist sent word and asked Jesus, are you the right one? <laughs> Are you the one that we're looking for, or could it be somebody else? Have I been wrong, and it's not you? Could it be somebody else? And the answer Jesus gave is, tell John about what you see and hear. Tell John about the signs. Tell John about the wonders. Not that somebody told you about, but that you yourself have seen and heard. Why? Because the signs and the wonders that Jesus performed testified not only to the disciples, not only to John the Baptist, but also to us today that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the one who came into the world to be the Messiah. Jesus is the one who was promised all throughout the pages of the Old Testament. And Jesus is the one who ultimately would go to the cross, pay the penalty for the sins of the world, and would bring an opportunity for you and me and everybody in the world to know forgiveness of sin and the hope of eternal life. That's who Jesus is. Amen? Our Heavenly Father, this morning, as we, as we look at the signs and wonders performed by Jesus while He was on earth, may it be evidence to us, just as it was evidence to those in that day, that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the miracle worker, the one who died in our place and for our sins, the one who was raised from the dead, that we might have forgiveness and the hope of eternal life. And as we share this morning, may it all be for your glory as we pray now and forever in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So this morning, if, if you've been here the last several weeks, I've, 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 I've taken a tack with, with this series of messages discovering Jesus. And, and we're looking at some broad pictures, some, some broad strokes that I'm painting with through the Gospels, looking at what the Bible says about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, his purpose, his resurrection we talked about last week. We'll be talking in the next couple of weeks about his teaching and about his mission and about his church. Normally I take one brief passage and work our way through it that day, 
But, but I'm, I'm going a little bit larger in the approach with this series of messages to give it the, the bigger picture about each of these topics. So today what I'd like for us to do is look at, at, at a list somewhat of Jesus' miracles and then to look at what it means for us. What does it mean for us? Because if it's true that Jesus performed signs and wonders to identify himself as the Christ and to share the message and purposes of God, then what, if anything, does that mean for me? What, if anything, does that mean for you? So first of all, let's look at, at a list, an abbreviated list of Jesus' miracles. I want to share, share four different types of miracles that Jesus performed uh, in, in, that we read about in the Gospels. The first is that Jesus had a control of nature. Several of his miracles had to do with nature. And, uh, and these signs, these, these wonders, miracles of Jesus, uh, give us a sign of Jesus' authority over creation. Jesus had power over the very creation that he himself had spoken into existence. For example, there's the calming of the storm. You remember that? They were out on the boat and the disciples were freaking out because of the storm. Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat and they said, Don't you even care if we die? And Jesus said, Oh, you of little faith. And he stood up and simply said, Peace be still. Jesus has authority over creation. Then there's the feeding of the 5,000. There's the walking on the water. There's the feeding of the 4,000. There's the, the fish with the coin in his mouth for Peter to pay taxes with. That was crazy the way Jesus did that. There was the fig tree that Jesus spoke to and it withered on the vine. There was the huge catch of fish when they had been fishing all night and caught nothing. These expert fishermen. And here comes the preacher and says, drop your net on the other side of the boat to let you know that when the pastor speaks, you ought to listen to what he has to say. There's all kinds of things that go into this. There's the turning of the water into wine. Jesus had authority, has authority over all of creation, and his miracles demonstrate that. Then there were the miracles where, where Jesus brought about the healing of people. The healing of people, a sign of his ultimate authority and his ultimate healing that will come to all of us who know him as Lord and Savior. And, and certainly we pray, and, and I've seen uh, what I believe are miracles on this earth of supernatural healing. I don't know if you've seen or, or heard stories of those, but, but I believe that God still works miracles today. Don't you believe that? And I've seen instances where I think it's true. I've seen other instances where we've prayed for God to move and prayed for a miracle, and it didn't happen here, but we know in eternity ultimate healing takes place. So there, there's this, there, there, there are several instances of Jesus healing people. One is the man with leprosy was healed. The Roman centurion's servant was healed. Peter's mother-in-law was healed, which is a message. Be nice to your mother-in-law. Amen? Amen? It's you? Amen? Okay. There was the man with palsy. There was the woman with the issue of blood. There's the Canaanite woman's daughter. There are two blind men. One of them was blind Bartimaeus. There's the blind man at Bethsaida. There's the crippled woman, a man with dropsy. There are the ten lepers that were healed. Only one came back to say thank you. There's the high priest servant, the nobleman's son at Capernaum. There's the sick man at the pool of Bethsaida. And there's a man born blind. And these are just some of the instances where Jesus healed people demonstrating that he has authority over our bodies, our phys the physical realm that he himself created. 
A third category of Jesus' miracles would be the fact that he was casting out demons. The Bible talks about the evil one, and the Bible talks about demons. And I don't walk out the door looking for demons around every corner and under every rock, but I want to tell you, the Bible says it, and I believe it. There's evil in the world, and it's not just the evil in and of itself. There's evil forces in the world. There's an evil one, and the Bible speaks of demons. And, and the Bible speaks of Jesus having authority over the evil one and a sign of being a sign of victory over uh, the demons and over the evil one as well. Jesus was able, is able, and does have that authority. There were two men possessed with demons that came to Jesus in Luke 8, and Jesus cast them out. There was the, the man who, who could not speak because he was demon-possessed, and Jesus healed him. There was the boy with the demon that kept falling in the fire, and Jesus delivered him. There was the demon-possessed man in a synagogue, and he was delivered as well. And all, all in all, pointing out this and others, where Jesus has authority even over the evil forces of the world, letting us know that in the end... In the end, we're on the winning side when we have Jesus. In the fourth category, if the others aren't enough, the fourth category is that Jesus raised people from the dead. I mean, they were dead. They weren't just passed out. They weren't just injured. They were dead. They were buried. They were put in the tombs. And there, there's the, the story of Jairus' daughter that we read about in Luke chapter 8. There's, a, there, there's the widow's son at Nain when Jesus came upon a funeral procession and they had the, the young man. They were carrying the young man on a board, not like we have today in a casket. They were carrying his body on a board and Jesus stopped the funeral procession and said, touched and said, get up and go help your mama. What a great story that is. And then there's Lazarus. You remember that story. Four days in the tomb. And ultimately, all of these miracles, all of these signs and wonders, including raising people from the dead, pointed to what Jesus said about himself, that he would be dead and that he would be raised on the third day. And he was. Jesus performed awesome miracles. Now, I want to take just a few minutes this morning. It's not going to be enough time. But I want to, to focus on the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John records seven miracles that Jesus performed. And each of the miracles that he performed brought about a, a teaching, brought about a sign, brought about a purpose of God and what God was doing. The, the other Gospels report many, many, many different miracles, and that's awesome that they've done so. But John was very targeted in sharing uh, the, 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 the miracles that he wrote about there. So let me outline those for you very quickly and make a couple of points about each one. The first one we read about in the Gospel of John is in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. The first miracle was when Jesus turned the water into wine. He was at a wedding uh, wedding reception, and when the water ran out, uh, Mary, Jesus' mother, came and, and put him on the spot, and, uh, and, and Jesus performed his first miracle there of turning water into wine. The, the background of the story that we don't have time to all get into is that there were six stone jars that were full of water, and the purpose of that water was for a ritual cleansing uh, in, in the Jewish faith, a ritual and Jesus turned, took that water and turned that water into wine. And, and the master of the ceremonies, not knowing where it came from, said, usually people serve the best wine first and the cheap stuff at the end, but you've saved the best to the last. 
And, and, and somewhere in there, it, it symbolizes for us even the mission of the Messiah. One, one theologian says it that, like this, that, that this shows that Jesus came to change empty religion into a relationship with God. Not a ritual, but a rich relationship. That's what Jesus came to bring, and this miracle shows that. Secondly, in chapter 4, we see the healing of the official son. In this story, there's no indication of, of this official, this nobleman, this, this, this important man. He came to Jesus wanting his son to be healed. We don't know this man's nationality. We don't know his background. We don't know his religion. We don't know how worthy or righteous that he was. We know nothing except that he believed Jesus. The key part of this story in, in John chapter 4 is that this man took Jesus at his word and believed Jesus. And the man was going home and was met by this man's servants. And they said, your son is now well. And the man said, well, when did he get better? They said, yesterday. And the man was able to determine that his son got better at the same moment that Jesus had told him that his son would be okay. Jesus was able to heal his son even we might call long distance. And it shows, among other things, that, that we are saved by grace through faith. It's not a matter of who we are or where we're from or what our education level is or how good we've been. It's simply a matter of taking Jesus at his word. And if we'll do that, he'll save us. And if we'll do that, he'll use us. And if we'll do that, his presence goes with us. The third miracle of Jesus is, is in chapter 5, and that's the healing at the pool of Bethesda. There's this man who, who was crippled for 38 years, and he was taken to this pool. And the legend in the scripture says there was a legend that periodically an angel would come by and stir the waters of the pool there, and then the first one in the water would be healed. It doesn't say it, how, how true it was, but there was this legend. And so this man was laying there after, for 38 years, and he couldn't get in the water, and he hadn't been healed yet. And Jesus came along, and Jesus healed him. And there at the pool of Bethesda, we find, we come to understand that we cannot save ourselves. We need someone else. We need someone who can carry us to healing. And that someone is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 6, we have the feeding of the 5,000. That, that's probably not an accurate number. It said there were 5,000 men, then there were women, then there were children. Let's say that every man had a wife and every couple had a child. That's 15,000 people, more likely the number of the size of the crowd that was there. And Jesus simply took five loaves of bread and two fish and he blessed them. And he had the disciples distribute the, those five loaves and two fish to that big crowd. And he fed all of them with multiple baskets, 12 baskets left over, one for each person, demonstrating that Jesus is able to provide for those who seek him, not only physically, but also spiritually. He meets our physical needs, and he often uses spiritual methods to do so. And we come to find out we can trust him. In that same passage of Scripture, Jesus lets us know that he is the bread of life. He is the one that provides sustenance and, and nutrition to our spiritual souls. And as the Son of God, He's able to provide for us physically as well. Next we see in John chapter 16, where Jesus walks on the water. Walking on the water. The, the disciples had gone out in the boat. They had rowed 
into the wind, trying to cross the Sea of Galilee. They had rowed for hours and hours and hours and only gotten about halfway there. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes walking on the water and they realize that it's him. They invite him to get in the boat. When Jesus gets in the boat, suddenly, it says, suddenly they were on the other side. They, they had gone to their destination. And, in, and among other things this teaches us is that in our own abilities, we can row into the wind and get only so far. But when Jesus gets in the boat or when Jesus gets into our lives, he takes us where we need to be on his time and even in supernatural ways. The sixth miracle we see is in chapter 9. And that's the healing of the man who was born blind. So this man had been born blind from birth. And Jesus saw him and Jesus made some mud and put it in his eyes. And he told the man to go wash his face and, uh, in, in, the, uh, uh, in the pool. And when the man did, he could then see. And here we see that there's this long story. It's 41 verses long. And, and, and a very interesting story is that as the man can now see, uh, some people were, were, because it was on a Sabbath, some people were saying that, that it's not the same guy. And, and it, but it was the same guy. And they brought his parents in and said, said, is this your son? And they said, yes. And they said, well, how, how, how can he see? And they, they said, I don't know how he can see. Ask him. And, and, and this whole back and forth, back and forth goes on. But it ultimately points out to this great truth that, that Jesus can cause even the lowliest person, the blind beggar that everybody overlooks, the blind beggar that, that in that day and time had no significance in society, that Jesus can take the lowliest of the low and the uppityest. Amen? You with me? The uppityest of the up. It doesn't matter who you are. If you will come to Jesus and trust him, he can give you eyes to see and he can bring healing to your life. In chapter 11, we see that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. So Jesus and his disciples were, were together and word had been sent that Lazarus is sick. And Lazarus played a, played a special part in Jesus' life. Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, were special. Jesus stayed at their house in Bethany. Jesus had, had, uh, had gone there. You remember the story of Mary and Martha? And, and so Lazarus was, was a special friend of Jesus. And so word comes, he's deathly sick. Come immediately. And Jesus waited two days. And then he said, Let's go, let's go see Lazarus. And in John chapter 11, at the beginning of the chapter, in verse number 4, Jesus said this, This illness of Lazarus, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So Jesus says, even before he gets there, Jesus said, this, what's about to happen is for the glory of God and so that the Son of God, that's Jesus, may be glorified so that it may identify Jesus further. After casting out the demons, after healing the sick, after calming the storm, after all the other miracles Jesus had done, it says this might identify Jesus as God in human form. That's what the purpose of this miracle was. And so Jesus gets there. And finds out that Lazarus by then had been dead and in the tomb for four days. Four days. And uh, Jesus uh, spoke to, to Mary and spoke to Martha. 
And in verses 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He's talking to Martha there. And Martha had been saying, if only you had come, if only you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, oh, no, you don't understand, Martha. I'm the resurrection. It's not a matter of is he, if he's physically dead, that's the end of the road. He might be physically dead, but I can raise him back to life. And he's, he was about to do that very thing. He proclaims himself, not just that he is able to do this, but that he is the resurrection, that he is the life. If we're alive and we believe, then we'll never die because we have eternal life. And even the dead will be raised to life because of who Jesus is. And then he asked this question that was piercing down to her heart. And the same question we ask today, do you believe? Do you believe that that's who Jesus is? Because remember, the purpose of the miracles was to identify him as a son of God and to demonstrate the purposes of God. And here Jesus is demonstrating that the purpose of God is that we might have eternal life and that death would not be the, the end and not even the final obstacle, but it would be the open doorway into eternal life with him. And so this shows us that those who believe will not die, and even when we die, we will live again. Isn't that wonderful news? That that's who Jesus is? Well, back in Matthew chapter 11, when John the Baptist asked Jesus about Jesus, are you the one or do we look for somebody else? Jesus responded to John the Baptist by listing the miracles, the signs and the wonders that he had been performing. This is the proof you need. This is the answer to your question. Are, are you the one? Yes, I'm the one because this demonstrates that I indeed am the one. But I want you to notice that the miracles of the gospel, the miracles that we see in the gospel of Jesus Christ, people responded in one of two ways. They either embraced and identified Jesus as the Son of God and they believed, or they were offended by what Jesus was doing. The Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, many in the crowds, they were offended that Jesus was healing and, and they thought that there was some, some uh, foolishness that was going on, some, some pulling the wool over their eyes or any number of different things they did not believe. They took offense. And in the same way that the people either embraced and believed or took offense at the message back in that day, the same is true today in our day. When we share the message of the gospel, which is the ultimate miracle of God, the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, People respond in those same one or two ways. They either embrace the message of the gospel and they come to faith in Christ or they're offended by it and they reject it. Interestingly, back in Matthew chapter 11, when, when Jesus was asked, are you the one? And then he responded by saying, look at all the miracles I'm doing. And in the very last part, I read it earlier, I didn't dwell on it, but I read it earlier, chapter 11 and verse number six of, uh, of Matthew Jesus says this, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That was interesting in that context. But think about it in, in that day and in our day. Blessed is the one who is not offended by the message of the gospel. Blessed is the one who is not offended 
by the miracles that Jesus performed. Blessed is the one who, instead of, of rejecting him and walking away, blessed is the one who believes and embraces and makes real the message of the gospel. That is, what is, is the essence of what it means to identify with Christ and to follow after him. So I want to end with this. We've talked about all too briefly the miracles that Jesus performed. Let's talk about the purpose of these miracles. Why did Jesus do this? There are several places in Scripture, but I want to point to one because we've been in the Gospel of John. I want to stay there. In the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, I mentioned this also last week. It says, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, signs and wonders. He did many more things. Some of those are recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John didn't write about those. He targeted seven in particular. But here in, in, in chapter 20, he says Jesus did many other things, many other signs, many other miraculous things took place in the life and the ministry of Jesus. But, but these seven that were targeted in the Gospel of John, he says uh, uh, these are written so that two things could happen. The purpose and the goal of the Gospel of John and the reporting of the miracles of Jesus, the, the twofold purpose is this. First of all, that you may believe. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The miracles testify to the person of Jesus being the answer to the Old Testament prophecies that one day God was going to send a Messiah who would deliver us not only from the, the aches and pains and ills of this world, but would deliver us through even death itself. And the miracles of Jesus testify that Jesus is that one. And now the challenge is, the question is for us, will you believe it? Will you believe it? Not just to say, oh, that's a nice story. Or not just to say, I read about that in, in Sunday school. Or, or my kids brought home a picture of Jesus raising the dead. It's, it's, it's not that. It, it's a commitment of your will that says, I believe that this is real. I believe that this is true. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That he is the Son of God. That of all the things he did, ultimately, he died on the cross for a purpose. My sins. That he was buried because he was dead and my sins were buried with him. But on the third day, God raised him from the dead. I believe that. And here it says, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, number one. And number two, that believing you may have life in his name. See, Jesus came to give us real life, not just existence but real life. The invitation is simple. The invitation to the message today, the invitation to the miracles of Jesus, the invitation to the message of the Bible is simply this. Will you believe? Will you believe? Again, staying in, in the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, right at the very beginning, it tells us in verse number 12 of John 1, to all who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. So John begins with belief and it ends with belief. And in between it tells you why you should believe. This is who Jesus is. In John 3.16, you perhaps know this verse. You've heard of it a time or two maybe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever does what? Believes in him. That whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. John 5.24 and 25. 
Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Not just physically dead, but spiritually dead. Those who are alive physically, but dead spiritually, will hear and will believe and will have eternal life. Jesus says that in John chapter 5. So the question is, will you believe? I know many of you already. You're sitting there and you're saying, I do believe. I have believed, I did believe, I will believe, I'm banking everything on this belief, and we praise the Lord for that. We can believe with great evidence and with great faith. But perhaps you're here, you've never believed. You've heard the stories, and maybe they've offended you. Sometimes people get offended, and they just turn and huff and puff and walk out, and everybody knows that they're offended. Sometimes people are offended, but they sit there nice and quiet and polite and act like they fit in, and then they walk out the door because they're still rejecting in their heart the gospel. Maybe that's somebody in this room today. But maybe today, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, you've heard this message of Jesus, and you've heard this call to believe. You may say, well, Pastor Mark, you talk about believing a lot when you preach. And, and I do that only because the Bible talks about believing a lot in the pages of the Bible. And if I'm going to be a, an accurate preacher of the Bible, I've got to tell you over and over and over again that God calls us to believe because it is that believing that is the, it is the key point of all of our lives. Will you believe? And the second question, will you have life in his name? When you believe, you can have life in his name. Not just existence, but abundance. In John chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, Jesus said this. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly. The life that we are called to live now on this earth through Christ is the best possible life we can live on earth. Do you agree with that this morning? It is the best possible life we can live. No matter what our circumstances, we can have abundance in our spirit and in our soul. And the life to come is the only life that matters and counts in this world. Last week, in our 1045 service, we had a couple come forward, Artie and Kim, to present themselves as members of our church, one by a transfer of letter, the other by a profession of faith, and will be baptized on April the 29th. That's exciting. Amen? And if all goes according to schedule, we'll have another parent and child in our 1045 service today that will come forward professing their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and presenting themselves uh, to be members of Ridgecrest, which is good, but even more so to be baptized in profession of their faith. You know why that's important in general, but at a time like this, and why I bring it up? Because it is the most important thing. The, miracle, uh, the miracles of Jesus on earth were fascinating and amazing and wonderful, but there's a miracle that continues to be worked out 
week in and week out, day in and day out, life in and life out, and that is when a man, a woman, a boy or a girl puts their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ and simply believes, takes Jesus at his word. If you will believe in me, your sins will be forgiven and you'll have eternal life. That's a message we preach and that we sing, that we believe and that we live and that we share. And I have to share it from the pulpit. It's a great message. But in your Sunday School Connect group, in your social circles, in your family circles, what wonderful opportunities we have to share this wonderful message of believing and abundance. And I wonder this morning where you are with that. And I wonder this morning what your next step of faith and obedience are in your relationship with God. Your next step of faith and obedience to hearing about the miracle-working Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Would you stand with me? Bill's going to come and lead us. We're going to sing one more song. And as we do every single service, without apology, we invite you, where you are, or to come forward here where I'll be available and others as well, we invite you to take your next step, whatever it may be, to trust Christ as your Savior, to present yourself, to be baptized as a profession of your faith, to, to have someone talk with you, encourage you, and pray with you. To reach across the aisle and grab somebody, the person right beside of you maybe, and say, would you pray with me as I seek to do business with God? So our Heavenly Father, this morning, I thank you that people have been so attentive to listen. And I pray, Lord, that your word has spoken to our ears, our minds, our hearts, and that our faith, our belief, will be lived out in the miracle-working Savior who has saved our soul when we believe and who can use us in wonderful ways to impact the world for Christ. And now, Lord, as we do business with you, would you lead us to faith and obedience in Jesus' name. Amen.